Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. But of course, you know that because you've probably been listening to loads of episodes before, and you probably already know that my name is Goose. But just in case you don't, that's who I am. And today, I was chatting with Chris Raymond from Unconditional Finance. It's a great conversation that we have today. I'm sure you're really going to enjoy it, particularly if you're a property investor or even a homeowner, and you're wondering what the hell is going on with property investment finance in 2022. So I talked to Chris uh, all about things like like interest rate rises, what the current landscape looks like, how APRA changes have impacted different uh, borrowing capacities, all of that kind of stuff, and valuations. We talked about that. We covered a lot of ground. So if you're interested in understanding like what is the finance landscape look like for me right now in 2022, how do I, what do I need to know to be able to navigate investment finance or property finance in 2022, then this is the podcast for you. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it, and I'll see you on the inside. Guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today is Chris Raymond from Unconditional Finance. Chris, g'day. How are you? Good morning, Goose. I am well. Yourself? And I'm awesome. 2022 is shaping up to be another fantastic year, in my view. I think it's awesome. Um, what's what's going on on your side? How's things since you've been on the show before? What's been happening since the last time we chatted? What's the update on your end? Uh, good question. Where do, I, where, where do I start? So it's it's almost like Christmas has come and gone and yeah. here we are. January's obviously gone and we're, we're starting to get into the year. So it's actually been a very busy start to the year. So, um, I mean, we were pretty much full, full, full ball all the way until Christmas. For the first time in many years, I actually had about four or five settlements between that Christmas and New Year period, which is very unusual. Most conveyances like to take two or three weeks off during that period. So it just sort of shows you the momentum the activity in the market sort of leading into Christmas. And I must admit, we've been back sort of the first or second week of January. And yeah, it's really just sort of progressed from uh, from last year as well. So yeah, a busy start to the year, but a, a fun and exciting one as well. Yeah. So a lot of people are probably wondering as well, like last year, 2021 will go down as one of you know the great years in property. Everyone was just property mad last year. Property prices were going up, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It was the main focus of conversation, I reckon, last year was property for most people. Do you think that that's going to carry forward into 2022? What are you, what's your view on that momentum that you just talked about? Uh, very good question. It, will it carry forward? It will, so long as the RBA doesn't increase interest rates, which I think- Interesting. Probably, yeah, which I think we'll talk about a little bit in a, uh, a short time. But yeah, I think the momentum at the moment, the activity that we're seeing in the first four or five weeks of the year- it's continuing on. I think there is talk in the market. People are starting to see it in the newspapers and the, the print media that the RBA may increase rates due to inflation later this year. So I think the good times are going to roll on until then. I'm not saying the good times won't continue post then, but it will obviously slow things down a little bit. So I think, yeah, yeah well, you know, personally, I think the first half of this year, the momentum is just continuing on from 2021. There's very lim- limited stock in the market. Interest rates are still historically cheap. Um, and we're seeing a lot of activity, a lot of people coming back to uh, pre-approvals. They want to sort of get their toe in the market as well. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so we're going to come back to the interest rate thing because I've got some pretty strong and probably uh, a little counterintuitive perspectives on the whole interest rate thing, but that's okay. Yep. Um, what what's what's changed? So there's a lot of. I feel like there's a lot going on in the world of finance at the moment. What has yep. changed? Uh, and what do people what do people need to know as they get ready and thinking about property finance in 2022? What's changed? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, the biggest change towards the end of last year around October, November, APRA 
wrote to all the banks. I'm obviously concerned about the property market and the increasing property prices and everything like that. So they wanted to try and slow down the market a little bit. Mm. So traditionally, the banks actually had a 2.5% serviceability buffer um, on the assessment of new mortgages or existing mortgages. And what that means for anybody listening out there, if you had an interest rate of, say, 3%, the banks are actually stress testing you over 2.5% higher, so 5.5%. but, bank, uh, but after, as I mentioned before, Goose, they actually wrote to the banks and said, hey, we want to slow down the market a little bit. And they actually increased that margin from 2.5% to 3%. So so what, uh, what does that actually do, though? Like, that, that, sounds like a, that sounds like a pretty small increase. Like That doesn't, that doesn't sound like it's going to do much at all. No, what, no. Is, what is the real impact of that? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a huge impact. I mean, it's probably around 5% of a client's borrowing power has been decreased. Now, mm. that's with our first tier, our major type lenders. Um, being an investment-focused broker, as you guys know, you know we have access to lenders that aren't actually governed by APRA, so those rules don't apply. So, yeah, I mean, I had a, a good example, Goose, one of your clients recently had a conversation with them last week. I think they were pre-approved with a major bank for 500000 Based on that increased serviceability buffer, the bank came back and said, well, no, that pre-approval is now $450,000. Well, so. And that was a situation where they had gotten a pre-approval like early in 2021 or something like that. So it was like the same It was the same bank, different times, wasn't it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, any, anybody out there that's got a pre-approval, definitely check with your broker, definitely check with your banker. Is it still valid? You know, am I still pre-approved for the amount that yeah. I was pre-approved last year? So that was probably the major change. Um, outside of that, we're starting to see, or not starting to see, we did see towards the end of last year, a lot of fixed rates starting to increase, um, and they've yeah. almost they've almost switched between fixed and variable. You had fixed rates, you know, one point nine nine, one point eight nine percent last year, and you had the variables at around two and a half percent. It's almost done a full one eighty. We've well, now got variable rates sub two percent, and the fixed rates has been about three or four hour really? cycle. Yeah, rate increases, and you're starting to see fixed rates for owner occupied properties at around two and a half percent, where traditionally three or four months ago they were around. You know, very low twos or one point nine nine, one point eight nine. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay, that's probably a good. Um, like, where where are interest rates sitting at the moment for investors? Like, for for investors and for homeowners, it's a really good point to touch on. Like, how have they yeah. changed? What's shaping up? Because I know, like, we always just broadly speaking use a benchmark of about three percent, and for a period of time, three percent was really high, <laughs> and now three three percent start to feel like it's a little low again. So, what's changed in interest rates? What can people genuinely expect when they go to a broker to get finance for a property? Like, what's good? What's bad? You know, stuff like that. Give us a give us an idea of where that's at. Yeah, good question. I mean, the, the point I want to make to our listeners um, or viewers today, um, as an investor, remember the investor mindset. I think we've discussed this on previous podcasts, Goose, you know, yeah. interest rates for investors aren't the be all and end all. So yes, it may be a little bit higher than what they were four or five months ago, but it's definitely not the be all and end all. I mean, if you're looking at owner-occupied, I'd say any client out there with an owner-occupied home with a three in front of it. Yeah. Get in touch with us. Get in touch with your banker. Um, you, you're paying too much. I mean, owner-occupied lending, we're recommending all our clients now on variable interest rates um, because there's now there's there's now a, a gap, you know, of around half a percent to 0.75% between the variable rates and the fixed rate. So it's going to take around three, potentially four RBA movements for the variable rates to actually catch up to the fixed rates now. But isn't that just risk pricing, right? Because it, like for, for owner-occupier, for fixed versus variable, it's kind of like 
Well, the banks are basically saying, hey, look, we know that interest rates are going to go up. So if you want to fix it, we're going to fix it on where we think interest rates are going. But if you want to keep it variable, hey, you can have it cheap because eventually those interest rates are going to come up. And then when you want to fix it later, you might have to fix it again for a higher price. Isn't that just like a risk timing pricing kind of thing going on there? Absolutely. for Absolutely. Yeah. Partially, and and a, and a profit profit grab if you ask me for shareholders. <laughs> um, but we won't yeah. go down we won't go down that rabbit hole. But it is, yeah, it, it is. But I mean, you've got to you've got to have a look and say, all right, you know, if a fixed rate's point seven five percent higher than the, than the variable rate in a two year period, will the variable rate actually get get that high or, or you know higher than the fixed rate? So are you better off you know on a variable rate in comparison to fixed rate? So yeah, as I said, I mean, we were riding a lot of fixed rates towards sort of. October, November last year, but with the fixed rate increases, yeah, definitely variable at the moment. Um, in terms of investors, which a lot of your listeners and viewers um, are, um, Absolutely, looking, yeah. there hasn't been a lot of movement in the investment market. Um, fixed rates have moved minimal amounts. So you, you're probably still looking at around that sort of 2.8, 2.9 mark if you want to fix. The variable rates are sort of the low 3%. So there's been sort of no movement. Why has there been less movement in the in the investor uh, lending market. Why guess, do you think that is? I mean, everything you read and everything we hear from our banking partners, I mean, this has apparently been an owner-occupied driven boom. So, um, Yeah, well, I mean, it has, you know, like primarily it's because the, afford- the affordability has never been better because interest rates are so low and then there's all, been all the pent-up savings and all of that kind of stuff. It's definitely been driven primarily by owner-occupiers. Can you talk to the logic of how they're pricing it then? I mean, they're looking at their book. I guess their book size is obviously predominantly owner-occupied and they're trying to price accordingly. You know, obviously it, it comes down to cost of funds as well. Um, yeah. Fixed rates, and, you know, the funding um, channels and um, how they're raised via bonds and stuff like that are, are a little bit different to the variable rates. But, I mean, traditionally it's just looking at your your market and if you're, you know, 60 70% owner-occupied, they're balancing, you know, they're balancing their books accordingly. So, yeah. Um, so, yes, I guess to answer your question or to circle back is, I mean, yeah, fixed rates... There has been a little bit of movement, um, but I would, as an owner-occupier, look, if you've got a three in front of your loan, definitely get in touch with us. As an investor, anything in the low threes, 3.1, 3.2, 3.3, yeah, you're on a pretty competitive interest rate. But as I said before, the caveat here is don't focus too much as an investor. I mean, interest rates aren't the be all and end all. It's all, we've discussed this before, it's all about access to credit. So you might have to pay three and a half, three point six, three point seven. 3.7, but if you're getting an extra sort of five hundred thousand dollars, you know that's it's opportunity. So it's, it's not a very big hurdle rate. This is the way I think about it, right? So because a lot of people get get caught up on the interest rate discussion, and it's like, well, <laughs> if you can borrow an extra, let's say, let's say by paying a slightly higher interest rate or going with a slightly different lender or whatever, you can yep. get an extra hundred thousand dollars of credit. So that hundred thousand dollars spread on what you could buy versus what you can now buy, if that yep. grows by I don't know ten percent over a year, right? Then that's Correct. ten. That's ten thousand dollars, and your hurdle rate is maybe like three and a half percent or four percent. So you've really got to think about what is the hurdle that I need to jump to make the cost of capital worthwhile. And if the cost right. of capital is three or four, or five, six, seven percent, but if you can get a greater return than that through a combination of growth and cash flow and all that kind of stuff, it makes economic sense. And that's in fact how that's in fact how all of the big that's how all the big finance companies, the, the billion-dollar hedge funds, you know, all yeah. of these, all of these massive companies, all of the private equity firms and all of that kind of stuff, they go, what's the cost of capital? What's the hurdle rate? What's the margin we need? Bang, jobs are good. And then it kind of the the whole interest rate discussion kind of doesn't matter as long as you understand what your what your forecast returns are going to be on a conservative basis. So yeah, I agree yeah. with that. 
Correct. And it is, it is like, like I said, I mean, traditionally, I mean, interest rates are still at historical lows. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of young investors, I mean, the last time the RBA increased the cash rate was back in 2010. Yeah. So a lot of our, uh, a lot of your, you know, the, the Dashdot team and the Dashdot investors, um, you know, they were in school back then. So they're not used to interest rate rises or at least talk about interest rate rises. So it's a bit of a mindset thing. But as I said, historically, they're still at record lows. Um, and realistically, like you just mentioned before, I mean, it's opportunity cost. So what is the return on that capital? What is the return on that investment in comparison to paying half a percent higher? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, um. Okay, so let's just recap a little bit. So interest rates is kind of like not a lot going on there. It's all sort of fairly stable. Lots of kind of interesting stuff there. Um, the the um, the the serviceability buffer has gone up by half a percent. So that kind of that's resulted in about a half a five percent drop in borrowing capacity, broadly speaking. Correct. Yep. Yeah. With um, some what, lenders. Yeah. With, with some lenders. With some yep. lenders. And. And that's, yeah, I mean, that'd be an interesting, we maybe have a whole another discussion around lenders and loan structuring and stuff like that, maybe in, a, maybe in another podcast, because I'm sure we can go down a big, big rabbit warren there. But I've also, heard, I've also heard rumblings that bank valuations aren't coming back correctly. I've seen this a little bit as well, but I'm interested from your side of the fence. I, I know why, right? I actually know technically why, but I'm interested to understand your perspective on that. What have you seen about this? How, like, what have you been seeing with your clients? How have people been navigating this? Do you want to talk to that for a little minute? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of clients come to us um, and property experts, and, you know, there's that saying about a bank valuation and a market valuation. You know, what is the difference? So, um, and I guess one of the benefits, I actually won't go down that path yet, but I guess, yeah, so we are seeing a little bit of, you know, you, the agent might be knocking on your door or you might get feedback. You may actually have offers on your home for 800000 but the bank valuation's coming in at 760000 So I think personally, I mean, you can probably talk through this from a data point of view, but I mean, I just think the valuers are now being a little bit conservative, knowing that the sort of, you know, the market is, is nearing its peak um, and they're just obviously putting a little bit of skin in the game. Now, having said that, one of the benefits of using a broker like ourselves is we often do multiple valuations mm. and there is a difference. There is a difference. You know, lender A might come back at 760, lender B might come back at 800. So you're instantly generating, you know, additional equity. Mm. Um, and the other little thing up a broker's sleeve is often desktop valuations. Mm. And for the viewers and the listeners out there, a desktop valuation is just, it's almost like an RP data report. It's, it's computer says yes, um, and this is, the, this is the value. And often banks can use that to 80%. And we do have some lenders, I don't know why, but it just seems to be a little bit more generous on the desktop valuation than a, a full the traditional, you know, bank valuation where they go out there, they go out and inspect your property. So, yeah, having a um, investor savvy broker or team behind you where, you know, we can do multiple valuations. We know which banks have higher desktop valuations. They're the things that we sort of, you know, look at and how do we actually, you know, generate sort of more equity. Yeah, totally. it's, it's really yeah. interesting, right? So I'll talk to you around why, because I know exactly why it happens. And in fact, yep. we're working on a solution to this, which is really interesting. Um, but just a, just a little just a little personal story. So Gabby and I, uh, as you know, Chris, because uh, you're obviously our, our personal finance broker, um, but we, had, we were buying a property in a strong market and we were certain about the valuation. The yep. bank valuation came back I can't even remember what it was, like 20% lower that was something. It was like ridiculously lower than, than the right. purchase price. Uh, and I sort of, my initial thought was like, oh my God, have we got this wrong? Like, have we, 
can we stuffed up here? Uh-oh, uh-oh, what's going on here? And then I just looked at it and I looked at all the data and I was like, no, nah, these guys have absolutely got it wrong. So then we requested another full valuation, but the same value went out there because there's only like whatever one value in the area. This, well, this, the same value went out there. And for those who can't see me and might be listening, I'm doing like uh, air, air quotations. Very because <laughs> Yeah, because, because they like speaking to the agent, the valuer never even went to the property, right? So the valuer, the valuer is supposed to go out there and do an in-person valuation, right? But they didn't do it the first time. So we requested and they got it wrong. They got the valuation wrong. So we requested another valuation from a different uh, valuer. They sent the same independent valuer out there. So the same person's contracting to multiple valuers. Uh, but that person, again, didn't even go out to the property again for a second time. And so it came back even worse of a valuation. We were like, what? It's gotten worse. Uh, so we challenged it again <laughs> because all of the data and everything supported our position. And eventually they came back and voted at contract price. I'm super confident that we got it for under market value, which is even better, right? Now, the reason for this is actually really simple. So what what banks use for desktops primarily is an is what's called an AVM, so an automated valuation model. And I'm explaining this mostly for the listeners. I know you know this, Chris, right? Yeah. Uh, so these are what's called an automated valuation uh, model, right? And that model looks at historical sales. So they've got there's quite complex, right? It does look at like things like land size and building size and room numbers and car parks and all of these kind of things, and then aggregates that and it measures that against other sales in the area. It does all this kind of stuff. It's pretty smart, pretty pretty intelligent. But it's always looking backwards. And in fact, it looks backwards 90 days. So it goes 90 days historical. Now, the problem with that is if a market is going up, then it is inherently wrong because the front, if you imagine like a line that is 90 days long, the front end of that line is going to be higher than the back end of that line. And if the if the model is only ever looking backwards, it's always going to be looking downhill, right? So it's always going to be looking at a, a, a lower valuation. The same thing actually happens in a downward trending market, interestingly enough, because it looks backwards, it can overvalue properties in a downward in a downward market. So the whole model, the whole model is fundamentally broken, right? Um, but even even when people, even when full vals happen, a lot of the time the valuers may or may not even be doing what they should be doing. And they they're still relying on past sales as well. So they'll look at it and then they'll look at historical sales and then they'll make an assessment. The problem with that is when a market is moving up, it is much harder for for them to value based on historical sales. And here's an interesting, here's a very very, very, very interesting piece of data for you. Um, so we did an analysis. <laughs> we did a, like a very, like the data science team did an analysis on what's called a vendor discount rate. So the vendor discount rate is basically the difference between the sale price of a property versus the listing price of a property. Okay. So the list price versus the sale price. And what we found is that in any market, anywhere in Australia, no matter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any market, anywhere in Australia, there is an even and equal distribution of incorrectness on either side. And the margin is about the same. So real estate agents who their job is to understand the current market value of properties, et cetera, get it equally wrong, either up or down all the time. There is like, that is the only correct thing about the only, the only thing that is consistent about it is that they are equally wrong 
by either five to ten percent on either side of the on either side of it. So they basically have no idea what the price is within a range of about you know ten to twenty percent, which is crazy, right? And these are the people that are sitting there saying, "Hey, I think your house is worth this." They literally have no idea and have no method for it. Um, and we didn't even find that when that that even tightened up when you know markets were hotter and there's more comparable sales. It's still just guesswork. So it's really fascinating the way that properties get valued. No, it is. It is. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, the, the, the black and white of it, valuers have to use comparable sales. And like you said, that if the market's moving, which the last, you know, 12, 18 months, it moves, you know, in certain pockets quite quickly. You know, if they're looking at comparable sales two, three months ago, mm-hmm. it's not a true market value. So, and we often see it with newer properties as well. There's very limited comparable sales in that suburb or surrounding suburbs. So you're getting a skewed valuation. Um, and a good, or, or another little example, Goose. I've, I've, we um, a couple of times this has happened. We've we've got two different banks, um, same valuation company, going out to inspect the the same property, um, but two different valuers from that valuation company have gone out. The yeah. valuer valuer A is uh, Jimmy. He's valued at contract price. Valuer B is Shane. He's come in under contract price, and they both work for the same company. So yeah, there's no. There's no method to the madness, so to speak. So I guess just to, just to highlight, it's important that, as I said, you use a broker where there is a solution where we can pivot really quickly. If you go to the bank, they've got one bank, they've got one valuation, they've got one valuation. If it comes in low or you know, the equity is not what you need to purchase again, we, you're stuck. So we can pivot really quickly. Um, and it's important, yeah, as I said, to, to have a broker that's got all those desktop full valuations, access to different lenders that we can, we can sort of move for you. Yeah, awesome. Let's talk about interest rate rises, right? Because there's there's a lot of talk about um, uh, you know interest rates being uh, increasing sometime in the future in the US. You know, the Fed in the US is talking about potentially. I think they're pricing in like four or five interest rate rises this year. All kinds of different stuff, and everyone's going, "Oh, what's going to happen in Australia?" Because in New Zealand, they've done a lot of. Um, you know, uh, economic tightening and uh, financial tightening over there and stuff. So everyone's going, what's happening in Australia? Now, as it stands today at the time of recording, um, the RBA has said that it's possible, they've gone from saying it is extremely unlikely that there'll be a rate rise in 2022 Mm -hmm. to it is possible that we're going to see a rate rise in 2022. Now, I would posit that when most people hear rate rise, they think that their interest rates are going to go up by a whole digit. Like, so for example, if it's got a three in front of it, it's going to go to a four in front of it. I think that's psychologically what people think when they hear interest rate rises, purely because the human brain is designed to look for, you know, whole numbers and all of that kind of stuff. So let's talk about interest rate rises. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to make things like actually worse? And I'm interested to understand how you think it's going to slow the market down because you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, so like you said, I mean, I think uh, it was a very minimal chance that the RBA was um, going to increase rates in 2022, um, sort of leading into the end of last year. But now I think on the back of the, the recent um, job rate or unemployment rates, um, the inflation figures I think were slightly higher than what they anticipated, which makes it a little bit hard to fathom with COVID and you know, everything going on. So there's been a lot of stimulus from the government to try and obviously increase spending and stuff like that. So the figures could be slightly skewed. Um, but now there's, yeah, I mean, the economists, some economists are talking an interest rate rise middle of the year. The RBA, I think, is being a little bit more cautious. So, um, and as I mentioned before, I mean, the RBA hasn't actually increased rates for 11 or 12 years. Yeah. 2010. So it's it's foreign, it's foreign talk and foreign um, 
you know, foreign to a lot of investors and owner occupiers out there. So, um, I mean, the RBA met on Tuesday. Obviously, there was no in- increase in interest rates. So I think they're just going to see how it's going to play out for the next few months. Um, yeah. Personally, what do I think? I think there will be a rate rise or a, a rate increase of some capacity, um, probably in the second half of the year. Mm. But traditionally, a lot of the economists that I was reading this week, you know, in the past, the RBA would do sort of two or three quick interest rate increases. I personally, I'll be interested to hear your view on this, Goose, because I know you, you study this quite quite closely. I, I'm not an economist, by the way, to my yeah. to our viewers out there, but obviously I'm involved in finance. And you're you know, entitled. Everyone's got an opinion, Chris. We've got our got fingers on the pole. So yeah, I personally think, yeah, I think the RBA will increase, you know, 025 percent potentially some point this year, um, and then I think they will sit. I think the market then will obviously stall. And why I say that is because a lot of people in the Sydney and, you know, the Melbourne, even the Brisbane markets now are, have got mortgages up to their eyeballs. You know, the average median price, I think, is about one and a half million in Sydney now. So I think, honestly, even a, a small little 0.25% increase, people are going to put the handbrake on and then they're just going to be very cautious for some time. And then I think mm-hmm. we'll start to see inflation come back down within the, um, you know, the RBA bands quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So... That's my personal opinion. I can't personally see multiple rate rises. I just think with the debt levels going on, with obviously COVID still lingering in the background, there's a lot of unemployment with retail and hospitality and stuff like that. I just think they may do one later this year um, and then it will be a wait and see mentality. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, pretty, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I fully expect that there's going to be a rate rise. There might even be a couple, to be honest. Like, but I. But the thing is, there's a couple of things there. For, firstly, they're going to be quite small, right? So you got to remember. Correct. You got to remember they're not going to just jump it up a whole percent. They're going to jump it up incrementally. It could be 025 percent. It could be 0.1 percent. You know, like it could be incremental to test the market to see what is to see how that is going to change things, right? And the whole idea is that they want the economy to be firing and burning and just like, well, you know, going off, but they also do need to control headline inflation. Now, as you've said, headline inflation is actually potentially caused. um, uh, It could still be somewhat temporary, not wholly temporary, but let's just, you know, but maybe, maybe 30% of the inflation that we're seeing is is because we're just suffering from a little bit of indigestion from a whole bunch of stimulus getting pumped down our throats. And now it's all trying to work its way through the system. We've got supply chain issues. We've got all this kind of stuff that's driving prices up. But potentially, if we get through, a little, bit of, get through a little bit of indigestion, we'll see the interest rate, the, sorry, the inflation rate go up, yeah. potentially, potentially come back down a bit. People have got to remember that inflation's good. Like we've been under our inflation targets for a very, very, very long time. You know, like we've been, the, the goal is to sit between two to 3% inflation. Over the last bloody 10 years or so, it's been about 1% or something. So we've actually got some catching up to do in terms of inflation. So I don't think inflation's bad, right? Yeah. That's, that's one thing. Um, and, I, and I think that, um, that uh, Philip, uh, Philip Lowe uh, is in the, in the same boat. He's seeing that it's potentially just a bit of indigestion. So let's not act too hastily because we do want to see the economy still grow and we want to see that kind of stuff going up. So yeah. could, could there be one, two, three? I don't know how many there's going to be but I do expect that we're going to see some interest rate rises. Now, the question is, um, and to your point, like what is that? What is that going to? What is that going to do? Right? And how is that going to affect people? And why are they going to be really cautious about it? And as you, as you astutely pointed out, this property boom has been driven primarily by owner occupiers. That has right. been the undercurrent of it. Right. And 
because of the cost of capital and because of pent-up savings and all of this kind of stuff, people have seized the opportunity to stretch themselves that little bit further and either to get into the market for the first time when they previously thought they were priced out yeah. or to upgrade or to change or to do all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what changes most or interest, interest rate changes affect homeowners the most. That's that's just the fact. And the reason for that is because the, the debt is not income producing. So if interest rates go up for a homeowner, that literally hits them squarely in the hip pocket in a big way, right? Yeah. And, so, and so when that happens... When that happens, that completely changes the psychology of the country. People start to spend less. They start to feel fear. We start to then have deflation risks because people are like, oh, I don't want to spend any money. I don't know what's going on. And you can start to really clam up the whole economy. So I believe, my view, is that they are going to be gentle in raising yeah. up the interest rates so that they don't break everything. This is like something like, what, a $9 trillion residential property market in Australia. They can't break it. If they break it, we're all fucked, basically, right? <laughs> right? So. It's yeah, and, and it makes it hard for first home buyers. But the government will not allow the housing market to uh, to fall like a house of no, uh, totally. Like and, and, and on the first home owner basis as well, yeah. right? Because because look, we talk about investors, right? But yeah. I also genuinely care about people being able to get a leg up. That's actually why I, I like helping people to invest because it actually helps them to get ahead faster. But Correct. getting into the property market as a first home buyer can be really really tough. And when interest rates go up, and that means affordability goes down because of the cost of capital, right? The affordability goes down. It can make it even harder for first-time owners to get in the, in the, in the, into the picture. I would expect that the government would lean further into providing more first-time owner incentives to soften that so that there wasn't a widening inequality gap. That's what I would expect to happen if interest rates were going to go up and that affordability piece started to play out uh, badly again. Now, interesting thing about interest rates is they don't affect property prices, right? So there's no, there's no correlation uh, sorry, there's correlation but not causation between interest rates and property prices. If you look at it over a long enough time frame, interest rates go down and property prices go up. So it's like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Well, look, look, they go down, that goes up. But that's on a really broad time scale. But if you actually look at all of the instances when there were significant rate rises, right, which should cause property prices to go down, yep. there is no statistical evidence that that is true. In fact, sometimes when rates have gone up, property prices have gone up. And I read a really interesting study recently which actually looked at uh, interest rates and the share market, right? As well, because they have the same conversations around interest rates and shares, and oh yeah, and all this kind of stuff. And and look, don't don't get me wrong. When sentiment changes, so when there's interest rate changes, when sentiment changes, markets are more volatile. So prices may go up or down a little bit more volatile fashion. But even looking at the share market, there is no statistical uh, evidence to suggest that interest rates will negatively affect share prices or property prices for that matter. What it does change, it does change a little bit about affordability, does change a little bit about um, access to capital and all that kind of stuff. But for investors specifically, one of the things that happens when interest rates go up and when inflation goes up and all of that kind of stuff, rents actually go up as well, right? Because yeah. housing affordability is, is, uh, is worse. So more people are renting, which drives up rental demand, which allows people to push up rent. So for an investor, it kind of doesn't really matter a lot because the rents are going to go up and all of this, it's all kind of going to find some relative equilibrium over a relatively short period of time. So really? yeah, I think yeah. from a homeowner perspective, I would not be loving hearing rate rise increases. But from an investor perspective, I'm like, yeah, sweet. Bring it on. Who cares? All good. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, yeah, like investors, your rental income and your investment, pro it, it is income producing. So what does that mean? Anything related to that property is actually tax deductible. So, yeah. you know, yes, you might be paying a 0.1% increase, might be an extra $500 a year, but 
that is then obviously written off against your expenses against that property. So, yeah, and, and I think there's going to be more opportunity, you know, like there's no correlation, as you mentioned, Goose, to, to house prices and then going down. But I think you'll start to see a lot more opportunity as an investor as rates start to rise mm. because you get, you're getting a lot of that owner-occupied market actually um, you know, pulling away from the market. So it's definitely, if you've got the means, if you've got the capacity, if you've got the equity to continue buying it, there's going to be some good opportunities over the next 6, 12, 18 months as yeah, an investor. Yeah, totally. And it's really interesting because it's going to affect some markets more than others because it's all about what I call relative affordability because affordability yep. is different in different places, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And so, you know, affordability in Sydney, relative affordability, so incomes are higher in Sydney, cost of living is higher in Sydney. But yep. in, I don't know, Tamworth, for example, the incomes might be slightly lower, but the cost of living is probably lower as well, right? So you've got this interesting relative affordability. So a lot of people think about affordability and they just think about price. Oh, a house in a house in Sydney is worth a million bucks and a house in Tamworth is worth 400 grand. Therefore, Tamworth is cheap or, or affordable. Well, it's actually about relative affordability, right? So if the, if the incomes in Tamworth are 40% of the incomes in Sydney, then the relative affordability is the same million to 400,000, all that kind of stuff. Now, that's why you got to start looking at like what is the you know and this is the one of the interesting that's, things that's changed uh, with COVID and working from home and all of that kind of stuff is because the relative affordability thing has really played out because somebody could be earning Sydney wages and then move to Airlie Beach or something like that and so <laughs> the buying power is a lot higher and that's actually why we've seen a lot of price changes in regional areas too. Seeing but, a thing in regional, 100%. Oh, to- totally because uh, because of they're earning city dollars and paying country prices. Right? They are. They and, are. It's really interesting because the top end of the market, right, typically buying cash. So those those super pre, those ultra premium properties, you know, like yeah. the, five, the five million plus, right? A lot of those people buying cash. <laughs> so so interest rate rises don't really affect those guys, you know. Um, yeah. But it's probably in that it's probably in that I don't know, like what are we saying, like million to three million dollar kind of price bracket where people are spending on the upper ends of their afforded personal affordability that we're most Correct. likely to see, we're most likely to see kind of price cut price callbacks and all of that kind of stuff. What do you think? Correct. Yeah. No, I mean you know it, man. You know it. So yeah. So I mean there's definitely been talk around interest rates, but as an investor, de- definitely nothing to be fearful of. And yeah, it'll be interesting. It really will be interesting to see how it all plays out. So yeah, you think maybe a couple of rate rises, I think I think one this year. I just think, I just think, yeah, as you said before, given it's a predominantly owner-occupied market, I just think that um, the RBA is going to take a really cautious approach. So, um, yeah, we'll wait and see. But yeah, I mean, as 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 we said, that I just, I mean, fixed rates are still moving. Like when I say moving, they are increasing. I actually, just had a major bank come out literally this morning and say, hey, we're increasing our fixed rates again. So mm-hmm. there is, as I said, we touched on it earlier, guess there is that margin now between variable and fixed rates. So. You know, should you fix, should you have variable? It does depend on the client circumstances. You know, speak to us. You know, what's your strategy? Um, often we do like to keep our, our investor clients on, um, and it does depend on the circumstances, but we do like to keep them on variable just so we've got ability to actually move their loans around in the future. We're talking about the valuations before, and if they're with, you know, Lender A, and, you know, obviously the valuations come in low, but, we've, you know, they're fixed, though, with Lender A. Mm it limits the ability for us to move them down the track. Now, I'm not saying everyone, make sure your loans are variable. It does depend on their circumstances, but often for our investor clients, we do we do like that flexibility. 
Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, Chris, I think this has been a really good update. Um, but and before we go on some random tangent about lots of other things I'd like to talk about, I think that's probably a good place to 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 leave it for today. I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think this is really going to set people up to you know understand like what is the land, what's the finance landscape looking like at the moment? How do they need to be thinking about it in order to get the most out of it? Is there anything we've missed in terms of like you know shaping people up and what they need to know to navigate property investment finance in twenty twenty two? Do you think we've kind of covered it so far? No, we've covered most of it. Yeah, so nothing to be fearful of. Um, I mean, the market is still steaming ahead. I mean, there's pockets, you know, there's states, there's Brisbane. I know you guys, Goose, you, you know, you're investing outside of Brisbane and WA and South Australia. So there's, there's you know, you, you, you move where the market's growing. So there's opportunity to be had, you know, the, the moves that you make today, Mr. Client, you know, you're going to look back in four or five years, regardless of interest rates. Yeah. Um, and look back and think and you know thank yourself that you've actually made those moves. Um, in terms of the investment or the finance, you know, landscape, no real changes as, as we touched on earlier. There's a, that slight increase. Um, I don't think APRA is going to move. Um, you know, there was talk they might you know write to the banks and you know change additional policies and increase the serviceability buffer even more. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to leave it in the RBA's hands now. Yeah, just I think to so see too. how that plays out. You know, one rate rise, maybe two rate rises this year. Um, but historically, interest rates are still low. Banks are lending money. Often a lot of these changes are around the major type first-tier lenders. We have access to a lot of second-tier lenders that are actually influenced by the APRA guidelines and these changes. So there's normally a home for most clients. So if you do get stuck, speak to an expert like ourselves, speak to an expert like Goose and the team, and I'm sure we can navigate a plan for you guys moving forward. 100%, 100%. I mean, the combination – look. Property investing is a game of finance, right? But it's also a game of property strategy as well, right? You've got to get the right types of properties (laughs) in order to keep you moving forward. And I think that's where, you know, we both in our own respective fields are very, very good at making sure people don't get stuck and they can keep moving forward. Because the aim of the game is move fast so you can accumulate the right amount of assets in the shortest period of time to deliver you to the right outcome so that you can get all the benefits sooner. Like that's the goal. That's the goal, I think. That's the goal. And seek a second opinion. I'm not saying where... You know, yep. we are the be all and end all, but I often see that almost daily now, Goose. You know, people come to us by yourselves and other, you know, other means, and you know, they've been capped out by their broker, they've been capped out by their bank. Um, you know, we're using the same figures, but it's just understanding the landscape, understanding which banks are more, you know, investor focused, understanding which banks are a little bit more lenient in terms of the way they assess existing liabilities and things like that. So, get that second opinion because it could be the difference between you getting that next property, and you know that. Totally, totally. I actually know per- people personally who have, yep. uh, and this is not, I'm not trying to like pitch everyone. I'm not trying to pitch you guys or anything like that. But I just happen to know people personally who told me that they thought that they were tapped out on finance. They said, oh, I don't think I could borrow anymore. And I said, oh, go and have a chat. Go and have a chat with Chris and the team. Came back and they've got like 1.2 million in borrowing capacity or something. And now they're able to go and just keep accelerating. So the point yep. there is, is get a second opinion. You don't, even if it's not with you guys, Go and get a second opinion. Go ask somebody else to say, hey, what else is out there? What are my options? You know, I think that's the key thing. So. Correct. Yep. No, that's it, I think. But yeah, no, exciting times still ahead. So uh, as I said, I mean, January has been a busy month for ourselves. It just, as I said, we didn't really come up for air over that Christmas period. And yeah, looking forward to 2022. And I think you and I are going to be having a few more podcast discussions around different Indeed. topics this year. So look forward to that. And um, yeah, we'll, um, awesome. we'll chat again soon, I think. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Chris, appreciate it. Speak soon. Thanks, Chris. Cheers.